and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy Saturday, everybody. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. It's your weekend stop for live and local sports talk. Mitch and Steve, that's us. I'm Mitch. He's Steve. Trevor Henry behind the glass taking care of us for the next two hours here in the Auction Community Studios. We've got a busy day today, Steve. Yeah, a lot of stuff happened this week. Not just us and what happened this week, but even just today, most notably to you and I, the uh, seam heads that we are, Diamondback Spring Training is here. It's back. It starts today. And we're spoiled because the Diamondbacks are, I believe, the only team that get to have two Diamondbacks teams in action today. Yes, and they have a fantastic lead-in called Arizona Sports Saturday. Yeah, to damn right straight. Uh, so we're going to take you up to D-backs action at, I think, first, uh, well, 110, I think. So, one t- so we're picking up the game that's at Salt River. Right. There's two games today. The Diamondbacks are at the A's Stadium in Mesa. But they're also at Salt River taking on the Rockies. So we're going to have that one for you. And if I'm not mistaken, the two starting pitchers today are Dre Jamison and Ryan Nelson, Mm -hmm. who are two of the young bucks trying to nab that fifth spot in the starting rotation. So very excited to see either one of them today. I am a particular fan of Dre Jamison. I wrote about that at ArizonaSports.com a couple of weeks ago. You can check out our roster predictions there. But, uh, yes, very excited for the first D-backs action today. Looking forward to that. Also, a big game specifically for, you know, ASU hoops. It, it'll, it'll be bigger for U of A because they're a higher-ranked seed, but it's massive for ASU if they want to remain alive and not have their bubble burst for the uh, conf- for the uh, NCAA tournament coming up. In Tucson at McHale Center, that one's at noon. That one will be over on ESPN 620, but you can also get it on the Arizona Sports app, so you don't have to go far for that one either so busy day in sports busy week in sports and then last night in sports uh we'll just start with a little bit of history looker up out of backcourt looker being defended by kenrick williams of oklahoma city looker drives down the left side open for three so booker with 23 it was his only three-pointer of the night but it is significant because Devin Booker passed Steve Nash last night to be the franchise's all-time leader in three-pointers. Can you name the top five? Well, Booker, Steve Nash. I couldn't do this by myself, but I looked it up. Where is Sean Marion? Sean Marion is fifth. Okay. Barkley? No, he was only... Barkley, no. He's here for two years. He also doesn't really shoot threes. What about KJ? Kevin Johnson is not in the top ten. Okay. I'm only looking at the top ten right now, but I asked you for the top five. So. I wonder I wonder then if a majority of the well what So you're missing number three and number four. So we had Booker, Nash, Marion was five. Gosh, who was three and four? I'm just gonna say I don't know, so we can Number three is Dan is. Marley. I should have said that. Eight hundred three pointers. Wow. Leandro Barbosa is four. The Brazilian blur. See, I would have gotten Marion like you, but I don't know that I would have said Barbosa. That might not have cracked my top ten. Channing Fry, by the way, is number seven. Uh, Rajah Bell, number six. Jared Dudley, eight. Mikel Bridges, number nine. And Cam Johnson, number ten. Now I'm a little sad. I know. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring that up, but 
Interesting. Devin Booker tops the list of three points. That makes sense, right? Devin Booker's been here a number of years now. Feels like a decade. He's still only like 19 years old. Uh, has it look. been a decade? <laughs> no, I don't even know. I don't think not it has. yet. But it feels it's got to be. Hold I mean, on, he, let me count. It's he, been one, two, three, four. He's a one eight and years. done out of Kentucky. Yeah, this so. is his eighth season with the Phoenix Suns. Wow, he's 26. He's a year younger. I was being a little facetious about the age, but let's be honest. A guy's been there eight years and he's only 26. That's crazy. I mean, he's going to be here for the rest of his career. I'm hoping. No, it's... I'm hoping. Look, I'd be shocked if he ends up anywhere else at this point. But yeah, that was a historic moment for Booker in what was not a great overall performance by Book, but the Suns got the job done at the end. They beat the Thunder 124-115 at Footprint Center last night. Still no Kevin Durant, and that's kind of where this conversation is going to head, is... We have a general idea of when he's going to be back. Most of the reports are leaning that it's going to be Wednesday when they're in Charlotte. So no, doesn't sound like he'll be available Sunday when they take on Milwaukee. I don't like that plan. I don't like okay, him debuting. I don't like him debuting against Charlotte. That's boring. I want him debuting Sunday in Milwaukee guarding Giannis. So you want the fanfare? Kind I, of debut. I want a big debut. Now let's be realistic about this. You don't want to rush a guy into things. So if he's not ready Sunday, then I get it. You don't play him Sunday. But if we are talking about making a big splash, and let's be honest, over the last two weeks, what has Matt Ishbia been very good at? Making big splashes. Getting stuff done, too. He he signs over. Uh, he gets the team from Robert Sarver, makes the purchase official. He holds the press conference. Less than 12 hours later, he trades for arguably the second best player in the NBA in the last Two decades, other than LeBron James. Uh, he gets Kevin Durant. Then they hold a press conference. I'm going to throw that in air quotes. It was more of a rally, more of a party in the arena. It was a rally. <laughs> Where it's literally just Durant sitting on a stool at midcourt and the fans just going bananas for him. They like making a splash. They like making the headlines. Then why not debut him in Milwaukee? Against the team that beat you in the NBA Finals. Against Giannis. A, what is he now? Two-time MVP? Here's my counter argument. They didn't they just try this with Devin Booker on Christmas? And then what happened? Devin Booker's not debuting though. Okay, but Devin Booker coming back from an injury and then re-aggravated that same injury in what was the last game on the NBA's Christmas Day slate. I think my point is simply if he's available, like if he's good enough to play Sunday, I want to see him play Sunday. Well, so it sounds like he's been able to do everything at practice. This is from Thursday, I believe, Monty Williams. He did um, everything today. So we'll see how all of the guys respond to what we did today. Today was probably close to the longest practice we've had um, all season long outside of training camp. So it was good to see everybody on the floor um, scrimmaging and getting after each other, chirping. Uh, tons of drills. So we'll just see how everybody responds. So it sounds like he's doing everything, but again, you just tried to do a similar scenario where, oh, you've got this big game coming up, and it's Christmas, and it's against the Nuggets, it's on the road, and we potentially have Booker fully ready to go, and it turns out he wasn't fully ready to go. And I don't want to risk that with somebody that you mortgage so much of your current, albeit your future as well, but very much your current roster in order to push for a stretch run. And by the way, I have somebody on my side just saying, mutual friend of the show, Lorenzo Alexander, 
He's in agreement with me. I'm just throwing it out there. No, I get it. Totally understand. If 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 there is reason to believe he should not be playing Sunday, I get it. You withhold for Sunday. I'm being a little bit facetious in like my immediacy of wanting to see Kevin Durant. Maybe it's just being antsy to see it. That's where I'll side with you. Like, I'm antsy to see what this looks like. I and, really am. And let's be honest, it'd be a much better matchup between them and the Bucks sure. than it would be between them and the Hornets. I mean, who is he guarding on the Hornets? P.J. Washington? Well, shut him down. <laughs> then if That's all you're going to guard. J.T. Thor? I mean, like, these uh, Kelly Oubre? I would much rather see him against Giannis. That's my only point in this. I'm not trying to rush him back. I don't want them to rush him back. Uh, but if there is no difference between Sunday and Wednesday or whatever it is, then I would love to see him Sunday. If not, I get it. In, like, internally, I'm fighting between what you just laid out, which is the I'm antsy to see what he looks like in a Suns uni because he, one, would be in a Suns uniform. And two, he would get to be in a part of an offense that is really actually tailored to benefit him more than any other offense that he's been in in the, in the past years with Brooklyn. Now, the other question that comes with adding a guy like a Kevin Durant to your roster is who else does that affect? We saw the news that Ish Wainwright had his contract. He got a new contract, two-year deal. So he finishes out the rest of this year, and then there's a team option for the next season. So he is an active member of this team going forward. And he got 13 minutes last night, so he got some play off the bench. But you got to move those minutes to Durant. And is Wainwright going to be the casualty as a result? Is he going to be the only casualty as a result of Durant coming in? Yeah, I mean, listen, there's a lot of wings on this team right now. Yeah. And you just added Durant. You added TJ Warren in that trade. You've got Josh Kogi who's playing good minutes. you got Terrence Ross off of the uh, the buyout market. Who has looked great, by the way. You've still got Torrey Craig, who's been a starter for a big chunk of this season, uh, thanks to a lot of guys missing time. Landry Shamit is a wing player, although he's more of a two than a three. So uh, I He's guess, still coming back from injury, too. Right, so that kind of plays a role. Ish Wainwright, I, listen, I told this story yesterday, and I guess I'll kind of sum it up really quickly. I saw him play garbage minutes at the end of Game 7 against the Mavericks last year when nobody was taking the game seriously anymore. They were down by 30 at halftime. The Suns had no business even trying towards the end of that game. Ish Wainwright tried. Ish Wainwright was the only bright spot of the entire game to me. And it didn't matter at that point in time in the fourth quarter when they were down by 35 or whatever it was. Right. But that's when I kind of started to, quote-unquote, fall in love with Ish Wainwright and start to respect him so much and acknowledge that he's working so hard just to get a couple of minutes here and there. And to your point, there's so many guys now, so many wing players, and with Durant, he's going to be on the floor 35-plus minutes a game. T.J. Warren's going to get time. Terrence Ross has been getting good amounts of minutes. Uh, Akogi, all those guys we just mentioned. There's not a lot of room for Ish Wainwright. No. Which really makes me respect even more the fact that they were willing to give him this contract. Extension, essentially, is what it is. Maybe they just liked him better than anything else that was out there. I That's mean, possible. We saw Kevin Love get picked up by Miami. This this one's a stretch. I'm just putting it out there now. But we saw Russell Westbrook get picked up by the Clippers. Patrick Beverly got picked up by the Chicago Bulls. Like there were guys out there that they could have easily opted to go for instead of Ish, and they ultimately landed on Ish. Whether that's continuity, whether that's just his general play as a two way guy, or just what Ish provides in the locker room, like off the court in general. 
It could be any number of things, but they chose Ish, and maybe that'll be the right choice going forward. And listen, just because they made this move with Ish doesn't mean that they're done churning the roster. Is there a chance that somebody's sitting out there and one of their point guards goes down? All of a sudden, you need somebody to back up Chris Paul. Maybe there is a chance that they go and look at Derrick Rose, which I think was reported by Chris Haynes yesterday, that they would be observing Derrick Rose for that possibility. Yeah, that could still happen, and anybody could get cut at any given time. But the good thing is here, we're talking about the bottom of the roster with the Suns, right? not the top. Remember how many years we spent talking about who was even the starter at small forward? Is Josh Jackson the guy? Right. Uh, what about center? Is Alex Len the guy? But more often, We're not worried about any of that But anymore. more often than not, depth will be the difference. Right. Especially in a playoff series where... It was last you're, year. You're going to shrink the roster, or you're going to shrink the rotation at some point. You might only see eight guys out there in most of the playoff games going forward. But it's a matter of how do you utilize the rest of the guys in the moments that you don't expect for, or that the other team won't expect. The guys like the Ish Wainwrights. Coming up next, how does new Cardinals head coach Jonathan Gannon compare to former Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury? There's one big thing he's got going for him that Cliff never had. I'll tell you what that is next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Starting to get our first glimpse of Cardinals new head coach Jonathan Gannon this week. He was on with Bickley and Murata for Newsmakers Week. He's been a part of several press conferences, including the one for his new offensive coordinator, Drew Petzing. Uh, we're starting to learn more and more about Jonathan Gannon, whether it's as a person or his schemes, which really he famously claims he doesn't have schemes, that he's going to be very adaptable. Or his JGisms. <laughs> yeah. That was the other standout notable. Uh, so, listen, as we get closer to the regular season, which is still months and months away, we will learn more football things about Jonathan Gannon, how he's going to use Kyler Murray down the road, how he's going to fit Isaiah Simmons into this defense. Those things are going to come into play down the road, especially after the draft and free agency, and we start to know more of what this team is going to look like. What I'm focused on now is what we're learning early on about Gannon, which is as a person or how is he different? What dynamic does he bring that is different from, say, his predecessor, Cliff Kingsbury? Yes. I do think there's one big thing. I don't know how big of a factor it'll be and how successful he is in Arizona, but there's one big thing that Jonathan Gannon has that I don't think Cliff Kingsbury has ever had. Kingsbury's a bit of an enigma. He's rare. He's not relatable. He's a single guy... Who lives by himself in the is fanciest? He well, he I think may we have a bunch of that though. He may have a girlfriend, but he's you know what I mean. Not married, no sure. family, no kids. Lives in a fancy house on the side of Camelback Mountain. I assume uh, he doesn't wear socks. <laughs> like you know, these are all minute things. But I'm just describing the person. He's a Ryan Gosling looking dude who is a good-looking dude who lives in Scottsdale by himself, essentially, is my point, right? It's just not very relatable. So you're saying there's nothing to him other than his looks? Jonathan, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not my point. My point is he is different from the average person. Yes. I can't really relate to many of those things I just labeled off Me about either. him. Uh, as opposed to Jonathan Gannon, who comes in, he talks about his family. He made a joke with Bickley and Murata, you know, like, the, pro uh, the proof is in the pudding, and my two-year-old loves pudding. That's just <laughs> funny. It doesn't mean that he's going to be a better coach than Kingsbury, no. certainly. But no. 
it, he just comes off relatable, and it shows in this one clip that I found. Uh, there was a video the Cardinals put together of Jonathan Gannon meeting all of the players for the first time mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. And there's one interaction in particular that's hilarious to listen to uh, when he meets Rondale Moore. What's up, man? How you doing? Good. Good. Shots. Explosives. Explosives. You can run. <laughs> and you know what? That is super awkward, and we can all relate to it. Can I can I throw another one at you? Yeah. Because this one was from the presser he had on Thursday with Drew Petzing. Gannon was asked about a Colt McCoy update, but it just went to a a whole other level of hilarity. A little minor procedure after the season was done, but he's down there. He looks good. He wants to play me in one-on-one, too, so he'll be ready to go. <laughs> Why do all these guys want to play me one-on-one? I don't, I don't understand. The quarterbacks, too. The quarterbacks. I said I'll dunk on both of you guys. He's just... Why so, do they want to play me one-on-one? I'll dunk on them. He's so more relatable. He's more personable. And again, this doesn't mean he's going to be better with the X's and O's, that his defense will be better than last year's defense, or that he's going to fix Kyler Murray because he's relatable. None of that is what I'm saying. It's just that the Cardinals finally have a head coach where I can listen to him speak. I can listen to this funny interaction with Rondell Moore and go, man, remember that time I didn't know what to say when I met that guy and I just... I didn't know what to do with my hands. Remember that time we kept hearing the phrase high level or got to give him credit or execution over and over, press conference after press conference, sometimes four days out of the week? You're not going to get those kinds of responses every single presser from Jonathan Gannon. You're going to get something different every single time. You're going to learn something new about Jonathan Gannon every single time. Now, where I'm curious, is this all just the... Is this like the honeymoon phase of this whole thing? Everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. You're noticing cool little things about them as you grow happier, and you're at a point where you're like, wow, I don't want to be with anybody else. Let's see after the first game of the season if any of that flips on us. Totally agree. Right? I'm loving everything that we're getting right now, at least from a speaking standpoint, and you should feel that way. It's the offseason after a miserable prior season, and... To his credit, Michael Bidwell had to do something that maybe he didn't want to do, but he bit the bullet and ate up two massive contract extensions that he himself handed out in order to get this club fixed. So props to him for that. And at the same time, we all feel good about the new direction, or at least better about the new direction. There's the flaws that have been pointed out with it, but everything I've, everything I've heard so far, everything I've seen so far, I'm, I'm on board with it. Yeah, I, I guess it's just refreshing to see somebody who provides right out of the gate some like imperfection. Yeah, and that's no offense to him, but like he's a little goofy and awkward at times, and that's okay. It's refreshing because for the last what was it four years we had a guy in Cliff Kingsbury who seemed like a nice enough guy. He was he was a smart dude. He came in with a plan, and credit to him, he stuck to that plan. It was just not a very good plan to begin with. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't relatable. And that's to me, that's to fans, that's maybe even to some of the players. It's hard to relate to that guy because he's a bit of an enigma. Steve Wilkes, I would argue, is a little bit the same way. He was such a tough dude. But I I at least got the impression of who Steve Wilkes was as a person. I never got that impression of who Cliff Kingsbury was as a person, or I should say as a coach. Right? Like what, What is the thing about Cliff Kingsbury as a coach that makes him stand out compared to everybody else? Like, Steve Wilkes was a bit of a hard ass, right? 
Yeah. He was going to make sure that you were going to do your job, go out there, do your job. and Disciplinarian. I mean, yeah. What did we point out a lot? That he didn't do a lot of the blame on himself. He blamed the players for most of the weeks of the season. And then when it got towards the end, he flipped the script. But it was too late for him to flip that script. I think there's going to be a competitive balance with Gannon of understanding whether or not it was a player problem or it was a scheme or play design problem or if it was a him problem. I think he's going to be the most modest coach that we've had since Bruce Arians, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, I think that fans can probably look at Jonathan Gannon and see a little bit of themselves in him. And that carries some value. I'm not saying they're going to win or lose more games because of it. I no. I, I don't think that that's fair. But it's something that they, we just haven't had in Arizona in a while. Somebody who can relate to the fans, can relate to players even a little bit better. Cliff Kingsbury, I mean, just another one example flying, uh, you know, by himself to the Kentucky Derby to hang out with Tom Brady. You know, it's like that kind of stuff. He was almost like celebrity coach yeah. of the Cardinals. And I don't want that again. And no. I feel really confident that Jonathan Gannon is saying all the right things. I hope that he does all the right things from here on out. And I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I I, I think we should all throw our weight behind the coach. I want to see him do well. Yeah, I, I want to see this team fail. It's no fun to watch this team fail. I even want to see Cliff Kingsbury do well in whatever he chooses to do next. And we know that he interviewed for a couple of jobs. I don't think any of them ended up coming to fruition so far. But, you know, like that guy's going to be in football again. I feel confident. And I want him to do well. But... It is refreshing to me to see interactions as awkward as this one where Jonathan Gannon's literally meeting a football player and going, shoo, 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 shoo. It doesn't make any sense. It's nonsense. He's looking at Rondell Moore and going, fast. You're fast. <laughs> it's like he's just naming off what the players are good at. He met Will Hernandez and goes, you're a big guard. Yeah, no kidding. He's like, just identifying the top qualities in each Yeah, guy. it's like walking up to Kyler Murray and being like, you throw the ball. Like, yeah, like that's kind of what I do here. I mean, it's easy, to do goofy. it's easy to do research on the guys that get the most attention. Right? And you know what? That That's what happens when you're meeting people, right, for the first time. And keep in mind, he's their boss now. Yeah. Like, it's an awkward first encounter, well, and it's awesome to see. I'll compare it to his previous compadre. I don't know what the best word choice is, but Nick Sirianni didn't have the greatest opening press conference interview when he joined Philly a couple of years ago. But look at the moxie that that team had last year, where... So many times I would look at the way that things were handled by Cliff Kingsbury versus how Nick Sirianni handled those things. There was the phrase Coach Bro that was thrown out quite a bit with Kingsbury. No, no, no. Nick Sirianni is Coach Bro, right? Like, he's mean mugging the cameras on the sideline. He's holding up his hands across the way to the Chiefs players at... It obviously backfired on him. But Nick Sirianni clearly exuded that confidence while at the same time being really darn good at his job. And I think Gannon's going to eventually be the same way. It'll take a little bit, but he learned under the same guy. I see it being a possibility. Yeah, and I, I look at those press conferences on Monday, you know, the day after the game. And for Cliff Kingsbury and especially Steve Wilkes, they were all the same. And and maybe you could attribute that to being even keeled as a head coach. Win or lose, I'm still the same guy. And th and there's some merit to that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like I think Jonathan Gannon's going to come in and he's if things went horribly wrong... He's going to be ticked about it, and I like that. And if things went really, really well for the team, I'm hoping that he's able to keep that even keel. So I want a little bit of both, and I don't think that's too much to ask for. I just see him as much more relatable than Cliff Kingsbury ever was. Coming up next, Diamondbacks GM Mike Hazen doesn't care what other teams are spending. Wait, 
What? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferelvis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch Ferelvis, Steve Zinsmeister here on this Arizona Sports Saturday. Fun fact, Steve and I both had to host for four hours one of the days this past week on this station and at the same time window. How about that? Yeah, I was on with Gambo yesterday. And then Cody and I filled in on Monday. We talked President's about a Day. lot of baseball yesterday, which I was excited about because we get our first D-backs action today. Oh, my gosh. Two, two games today, It's actually. that moment where you've waited for what feels like a lifetime, and now it's back, and you can just finally breathe again. And similarly, or to add to that, I should say, you and I are both in a, um, a fantasy league together with some friends of ours. And yeah, a lot of people here at the station. A bunch of off-season trades were already made, so you can really start to feel the energy picking up. I made a trade season. at 10 p.m. the other night. I did it. <laughs> I swindled Lipinski. You're, you're putting extra work on the um, co-commissioner myself. Um, but you're there, welcome. There's a lot of excitement for this Diamondbacks team in particular, and a good reason why is because of what happened in the second half, or after the All-Star break, I should say. There was a great stretch of play. We got to see a lot of the faces that we're going to see to start this season, like Corbin Carroll, Alec Thomas. Um, We're going to be seeing a lot more of Jake McCarthy. There's a good chance we're going to be seeing a lot of Drake Jamison, Ryan Nelson. We're going to hopefully see the return of Cy Young candidate Zach Gallen. Hopefully he can replicate that. Merrill Kelly as well. There's a lot to like about this year's club. And You know, the Diamondbacks are at a disadvantage in comparison to most. They don't have the kind of capital that a lot of the bigger market teams have. And what I mean by bigger market is like the L.A.'s, the New York's, the San Francisco's, the St. Louis's, right? And they're competing with two of them in their own division in San Diego and Los Angeles, the Dodgers. But Mike Hazen doesn't care. And he quite literally told that multiple times this week, but specifically to Bickley and Barada on Newsmakers Week yesterday. I don't really care about payroll. I'll be honest with you. It is what it is. Like it's 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 a crotch. It's an excuse. Um, I think we have every ability to go out and put a good team on the field. Do am I blind to the difference in a uh, hundred fifty million dollar payroll gap on on your payroll? No. Um, we we it has it has its advantages, and, and the biggest advantage being when somebody goes down on one of those teams that they could. You know, buy or have a have a better player um, sitting underneath that than we might be able to have. However, we have the ability through the draft and and all and acquisitions around the league and trades and free agent signings where we can do the same thing. We just haven't done as good a job of it as the Dodgers or the Padres. Money buys you a couple of luxuries in baseball, of course. He talked about depth there. I'd go a step further and talk about there were rumors this week that the Diamondbacks are opening the negotiations to the possibility of extending Corbin Carroll, Mm -hmm. who is top prospect in baseball, got a September call up. They saw him a little bit in action. You try to give him a decent amount of money now based on what they think he can be, not what he's already accomplished, as opposed to letting Paul Goldschmidt go at the end of his contract. If they were a big market team like one of those teams he mentioned, you might have been able to sign your best player long term, mm-hmm. which I'm sure on some level. I mean, even Gambo yesterday told me that was one of their biggest regrets is that they wish they had signed Paul Goldschmidt to one of those deals to extend him even further. But here's well, it's the easy thing. to say that about the reigning MVP. Yeah, right. <laughs> here's the thing, though. It, 
And Mike Hazen kind of brought it up. I'll, I'll use an example where he says that, uh, you know, just because we don't have as much money as them doesn't mean we can't do a good job. Here's an example. Paul Goldschmidt leaves, goes to St. Louis, gets all the money in the world, right? He deserves it. He's the MVP last season. He was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals were first in Major League Baseball last year in war at the first base position. Do you know where the Diamondbacks were on that list? Out of 30? Yeah. Just this last season? or Just this last season. Well, Christian Walker was fairly good, but what do they account for war? Like, do they account for batting average more so than, like, his defensive prowess? Or I, mean, I don't know the exact formula for war, but it's essentially say it's boiling not, down to who's the best first I'm going to say it's not super high. I'll put it at, like, 20. He was third. The oh, Arizona really? Diamondbacks were third in war at first base last year. i got to give Christian Walker more credit. Good now, job. that's just one position, right? Sure. It, obviously, this has to be extrapolated over an entire team. I mean, it's a team game, right? Like, first base was great, but the rest of the team couldn't stay healthy for most of the year. Paul Goldschmidt made how much money last year? Uh, like, just under 30, I believe. I think he was at, like, 28. Uh, he signed a five-year, $130 million contract, so $26 million roughly in cash last year. Yeah. How much money did Christian Walker make last year? Oh, it was definitely under, like, three or four. He's not making a lot of money because he's still in his arbitration years. He made... He's going to make six and a half this year. Why doesn't that say for last year? Uh, 2022, $2.6 million. The Arizona Diamondbacks had the third... Basically, the third best first baseman in baseball last year for $2.6 million when they let Paul Goldschmidt go, who is number one, granted, and a distant number one, but they would have had to pay an extra 24 Oodles more cash for him. Sure. Like, do you see my point? Like, Mike Kazin is right. You can do good things with less money. But here's the thing. I think Mike Hazen is trying not to make excuses. I or think, he's done making excuses. And I like that. I just think that a lot of teams, they have a built-in excuse. Well, if, if the player's not good, we'll just go spend money and get a different one. Yeah. And they don't do that. They, and they don't have that luxury. So I, I kind of lean with what Mike Hazen is saying here. When he says, like, payroll doesn't matter to me, that's, that's a little bit of an exaggeration because obviously payroll plays a role in everything that you do in professional sports. It does impact whether or not they're able to lock up Corbin Carroll long term right. or if they want to lock up, uh, I don't know, I'm just naming other names at this point, but they've got prospects like Jordan Lawler coming. If you want to have any hope of signing him long term at shortstop, that impacts it. How big of a market you play in, how much money your ownership has. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like what he's saying here is that basically he's saying just because we don't have as much money as them doesn't mean we can't do a good job. And he emphasized that we just have not done a good job of the things we need to do better at. Now, I think it's going to flip when you have guys like Corbin Carroll and when you have guys like Jordan Lawler and Jake McCarthy, who was even a comp first round pick, guys that you invest your draft capital in in order to make your team better in the areas where you can't compete in, like spending money. And another problem with that whole spending money thing is they haven't really been good when they've been spending the big contract money either. The The best big contract they had in recent memory, and people are probably not going to agree with this, but it was Zach Granke. And even that might have been an overspend. It might have been an overspend, but he was still, million. He was still a perennial all-star. They were... They made the the wild card in 2017 with him as their staff ace. Like, Zach Greinke was not a bad spend, and part of that is we're comparing it now to the most recent 
bad spend and big spend that the Diamondbacks have made in Madison Bumgarner. $85 million. So there are ways that they can be better in the areas that they can't necessarily compete as well, to your point. And they're going to be better at it because they have been better at it because we're seeing how good these players have been paying off what Mike Hazen and the rest of his crew have been doing, which is drafting and developing. Something that I asked Tori Lovello yesterday when he was on our station was about the speed of the team. Because, as you noted, the the team started to come into its form at the end of the year. You call up Corbin Carroll, who we knew was going to be a part of this team this season. Jake McCarthy gets more opportunities. Alec Thomas did go down to AAA for a bit at the end of the year. but He just wasn't hitting anymore. He's going to be a part of this team regardless. He was kicking ass in AAA playoffs. So, I mean, like it's clear that they had a lot of speed. They were sixth in Major League Baseball in steals last season. They were tied for first with Cleveland in the month of September. Mm-hmm. Yes, you trade Dalton Varsho, and he was going to have some steals, but I think that trading him actually opens them up to more speed. Jake McCarthy had 23 steals in roughly 300 at-bats. You give that guy 450 at-bats, conservatively, he could be 30-plus. I mean, he could threaten for 40. Alec Thomas can swipe bags. Corbin Carroll is in the top 1% of foot speed in the entire Major League Baseball. Uh, you've got guys in the minors like Jordan Lawler, who could be up by the end of the year, who I think had like 39 steals last year across multiple levels. You have Perdomo, who can swipe a bag here and there. Josh Rojas can steal maybe 15 to 20 bags, uh, is my guess. This is a fast team. Yes. And I wonder if, because of the rule changes, the bigger bases, uh, I do wonder if Tori Lavella will make it an emphasis to try to steal more bases or is it just a natural byproduct of having more speed? Oh, I mean, without question, I think he's going to use it to his advantage. Um, he even, you had mentioned that he was on, what was it? It was on earlier this week where he mentioned that. It was funny because when the guys had him on for Newsmakers Week, when Bickley and Murata had him on, they kind of saw it as, oh, it's kind of funny that here come all these rule changes, and then here you are with a team that absolutely those rules work in your team's favor. These rule changes um, are going to, you know, they're trying to create a little bit of offensive excitement, like a little bit of stolen base excitement, and that fits right into our game plan. Yes. That's who we are. We're good hitters, and we're fast athletes that get around the bases as fast as anybody. So it should, you know, like I said, it fell into our lap. So we're good already in that area, <laughs> but we want to enhance it by, by, um, by checking the rules and, and and, and making, making it happen on a higher level and a little faster pace. And don't forget, we talked a lot about how left-handed heavy this team is. They were. You can't shift as extremely as you did last season anymore. You have to have two players on each side of second base now. There's a chance that the offensive production is going to climb drastically, not just on the base paths, but to getting on base as well. It could open up things for guys like McCarthy, Carroll, Thomas in the outfield in particular, Paven Smith if he makes this team and has a role, um, some lefties in the infield like Josh Rojas. Yeah, totally, it could. While acknowledging the speed, I will also acknowledge, and I confronted Torrey with this yesterday, is the lack of power in the lineup. Christian Walker hit 36 home runs last year. Let's conservatively pencil him in for 30, right? Besides Christian Walker, you traded away Dalton Varsho, who had 27 home runs last year. So really what you're left with is the next highest on the team last year was 12. That was Cattell Marte. You added Evan Longoria. Maybe he's capable of, I don't know, 15 if he plays enough. But aside from Christian Walker, I, I think he could double the home run total of the next highest player on the Arizona Diamondbacks this season. That's a realistic possibility. There is a lack of power 
And while, yes, this plays this roster plays really well to the rule changes, I do think that if they're in contention by July, we're probably talking about what power bats are there out there that maybe they could add at the trade deadline. Who's the Nelson Cruz out there? I mean, Nelson Cruz is on the Padres this year, so that trade is probably <laughs> Nelson Cruz is always out there. <laughs> highly unlikely, but he's the automatic, like, oh, we just need some guy to cement the middle of our order, and we don't have to ask him to play in the field because everybody has the DH now. Yeah. And Nelson Cruz seems to be that guy. We're going to get into our bold predictions later, but I'm going to give you a guy that I think is going to supplement that um, potential lack of power who might be able to make up. For You're going to make me wait. Bars. You're going to tease me with that. All right. Fine. You wanted to do that segment in that part of the show. Don't make this my fault. I do. Coming up next. So the Suns played last night. The rest of the association is back in action. So what is happening with the rest of the Suns competition? We'll take a look around the West next on Arizona Sports Saturday. The Wild Wild West. The Wild Wild West. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. So good at reading my mind, it's ridiculous. Thank you, Trev. As always, Trevor Henry behind the glass, Mitch Veraldis, Steve Zinsmeister. So we're just going to take a look around the Western Conference in the NBA because the Suns have got some strong competition coming out of the All Star break. We've had two days of games already, and there's been a lot to like. There's been a lot that stood out, but at the same time, it creates a challenge for the Suns. As they try to move up in the standings, do we even want them to move up in the standings? I don't know. So the Suns are in fourth place right now. And basically what we'll do, Steve, is we'll just go team by team of the ones that could drastically impact where the Suns finish at the end of the season. Okay. So I'm going to, right now, I'm going to rule out Denver only because they have a six-game lead on the next closest team for first place in the West. Yeah. Unless something drastic were to happen with Denver, I don't foresee them falling out of that spot. It feels like those years when the Raptors were the number one seed or the Bucks were the number one seed. And it doesn't mean that you're going to win a championship. They certainly look like they're in prime position to compete. And obviously you have a two-time MVP, possibly going to win his third this year. The Nuggets are what they are at this point. They're at the top of the totem pole, and everybody's looking up at them. They have the best uh, point differential in the West currently with four and a half more than their opponents. They're on a four-game winning streak, eight of their last two. I mean, they're just they're they're like the Suns last year, where it just feels like, okay, the only thing that's going to stop them is a, is a ginormous brick wall. So we'll start with Memphis. Memphis is the two-seed. They are three and a half games ahead of the Suns. So the Suns could very much catch Memphis. And Memphis has not been playing well. Even out of the break, they had, I think it was a 17-point lead at one point in their game Thursday against Philly. And Philly came back and won 110-105. After Desmond Bade had 21 points in the first quarter, he finished with 25. There was a lot that Memphis just failed to capitalize on in a game against what is a very much Eastern Conference threat. Yeah, it, Memphis is an odd team. So they went on a stretch of wins uh, a little over a month ago where they just could not lose a basketball game. Now, they weren't playing the most competitive teams at times. Sure. The Hornets, the Magic, uh, the Spurs twice in a row. But uh, even the Suns were there in, in that mix. They won but that at the game same by time, 30. you should beat those teams. But then they go on a one, two, three, four, five game losing streak here. One win, then three more losses, then two more losses in their next four. I mean, it's... 
It's been a rough stretch for Memphis. Four of their last six, I think you mentioned. They've lost one game now at this point. But they're still the two seed. They built up a really good cushion at the beginning of the year. And they still have John Morant. And in the game of basketball, if you have the best player on the court, odds are you're still going to win some games. The national discussion seems to center around, see what I did there, center around Steven Adams, who has been out with an injury. He kind of helps make their offense function properly. And what he's really good at is getting offensive rebounds because Memphis is not a great shooting team. So as a result, you need some presence down low to be able to pick up some missed baskets. And without Steven Adams, those second chance opportunities have just not been there nearly as much. So he could be easily a part of it. Everybody likes to point at the Shannon Sharp incident against the Lakers. But, you know, I'll choose the realist approach. Up next, the team ahead of the Suns currently, the Sacramento Kings. They've got a two-game advantage on the Suns. I don't know if you saw, Steve, they played the Clippers last night in a game that I don't know if defense was allowed to exist in this game. (laughs) It was like an all-star game. In a final of two overtimes, Sacramento, on their second night of a back-to-back in Los Angeles, beat the Clippers after falling behind 176-175. That's a lot of points. Now, here's what I'm going to focus in on. That's more. like 350 points, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, if you bet the over on that game, congratulations. You got it by Holy cow. a lot. Darren Fox had 42 points, 12 assists. Demontis Sabonis had a great game. Malik Monk had 45 points off the bench. Wow. Like, the Kings are very much... You know, this is like the 2021 Suns where it's like, whoa, we didn't see this coming. We saw maybe like a play-in seed, but we didn't see third place in the West. I think people are trying to figure out the Kings still. Yeah, they're the three seed. Yeah, they're kind of surprising. Uh, they haven't been good basically in my entire lifetime yeah. since Chris Webber was there, basically. But Rick Adelman. Uh, I do think that they need to be taken seriously. De'Aaron Fox may not be the biggest name at point guard in a league where there are a lot of good point guards. De'Aaron Fox is probably not very high on your list, but he probably should be. He's averaging 25 points a game. Uh, He's a decent enough distributor at six assists per game, although Demonis Sabonis has more assists per game than he does even. Sabonis is for real, man. This guy is just a great player. He's been a great player for a while. There's reason that the Phoenix Suns were looking at Sabonis as a possibility in a trade for DeAndre Ayton in the last couple of years at the different trade deadlines. I think the Kings need to be taken seriously. I don't think that they've put it together enough years in a row now for them to be ready to have that level of success. A lot like what we talked about with the Pelicans last year, right? Mm-hmm. Where dangerous team to meet in the playoffs for the Suns, but they just weren't ready to take that next step yet. Now, their opponent is the fifth seed, and the Suns should be thankful that the Clippers lost last night because they retook fourth because of it. But the Clippers, who had the 175 of the 176 to 175, but more importantly, Russell Westbrook started last night for the Clippers, and he had a plus-minus of plus three, scoring 17 points, 14 assists, had a steal, five rebounds. Did turn the ball over seven times. He did foul out as well. But now you start to wonder, okay, we've seen it once. Are we going to see a similarly strong performance out of Russell Westbrook again, and does that increase the threat that the Clippers could be in the West? Yeah, the threat of the Clippers in past years has always just been, is Kawhi going to be healthy or not? And I guess you could he throw was that... He healthy last night. You could probably throw that same caveat on Paul George, but now that you have both of those guys in the lineup regularly, and you add a guy like Russell Westbrook, who we can all agree is a dynamic player, 
I would also argue he's a bit of a locker room cancer. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy's been on, what, five teams in five seasons at this point? He just hasn't found a fit. We all know what he can do, and we all know what he can't do, more importantly. But the question is, is this finally the trio for Russell Westbrook where it all clicks? I would argue that in Oklahoma City, they had a really great trio. James Harden was still kind of coming along, but we all knew he was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, this could finally be the fit for Russell Westbrook. because L.A. was never that, well, I should say, the other L.A. The <laughs> Lakers were never going to be that fit for him. He's reunited with Paul George, too, who apparently did a lot of work to convince... Everybody to bring in Russell Westbrook. Houston was never the fit for him. Where else is he? The Wizards. The Wizards was never going to work for Russell Westbrook. Past season for him. If and only if Russell Westbrook fits into this equation with the Clippers, then they're dangerous. They're really dangerous. And I think him starting kind of hints at what his role could be. Going forward, sixth place, you've got the Dallas Mavericks. They are a full game behind the sun, so very much lurking. And they had an easy matchup coming out of the break. They had the Spurs on Thursday, 142-116, a win at home. Got a good game from Luka Doncic. You got a good scoring night from Kyrie Irving. I mean, that's kind of what you have to worry about, right, is Dallas's offense is probably going to try to, we were talking about it outside as we were prepping for the show, like, what was Mike D'Antoni's philosophy? Like, we're going to try and outscore you as best we can. Maybe we'll suffer on defense, but we got a lot of dudes that can shoot. You got Kyrie and you've got Luka Doncic on the same team. Both of them can very much pick their pop, pick their spots at any moment in time. They're going to be a threat. Yeah, I think the Mavericks actually have an upper hand on the Suns in a similar situation in that they get Kyrie Irving now. Yeah. Whereas we're waiting to get Kevin Durant in the fold here in Phoenix and see how that's going to work. Now, we all know it's going to work on some level, right? We're not worried about it not working. But you do need time to gel as a team, and we're running out of games here at the end of the season. The Suns fundamentally changed the way that their roster looks by adding Kevin Durant and subtracting Mikel, subtracting Cam, a couple other moves like Jay Crowder and Dario and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. They just need time together to figure it out. The Mavericks are going through the same thing by adding such a huge piece in Kyrie Irving. The difference is he's playing right now. Durant is not. Durant will be back soon. He will thankfully. be. There's a cluster of teams that are uh, the same amount of games behind the Suns right now. Minnesota, New Orleans, and Golden State are all three and a half, no, two and a half games behind the Suns at seven, eight, and nine in that order. Minnesota, I believe they played uh, yesterday. They got a comeback victory, or no, they lost against the Hornets at home. That one's kind of a rough one for Minnesota. Golden State in their second night of a back-to-back after losing to the Lakers on Thursday, they got the win against the Rockets back at home. And then, what was the other team I mentioned in there? Having to look back real quick, the New Orleans Pelicans. New Orleans has had it really, really rough. They're down without Zion, who's going to be out a lot longer than we expected. And then they lost by five points to the Raptors coming out of the break on the road. They have been struggle busting the last couple of weeks. I am still probably the most intimidated by the Pelicans. I just love their roster construction. They have... Something that I thought the Suns did really well the last few years is they have role players who fit really well, like like a defensive guy in Herb Jones who, like, that's not a big-name player, but plays a big-time role. Mm-hmm. I like the mix of McCollum and Ingram and Zion. Certainly, we all know what he can do athletically. I'm still most intrigued by the Pelicans. The Timberwolves do have, you know, the star aspect of it. Uh, in Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards. Certainly, those two guys are capable of a lot of things. 
And then, I mean, the Warriors, I, I don't want to say that they're bad, but... Like, we can't shut them out until they shut themselves out. Well, and Steph Curry, when Steph Curry's on the floor, anything is possible. Yes. Is how I feel about it. I don't think that they're a well-constructed team at this point. I do think a lot of their age has a lot to do with it and a lot of their health, but uh, they're sitting at 30 and 30. They're a 500 team right now. They could easily work their way up into a 5 or 6 seed. A full three games behind the Suns at 10 is Utah. And then the team that the Suns just beat last night, the Oklahoma City Thunder, are four back. They're tied with Portland at 11 and 12. And then you mentioned it that only six games behind. It feels like a lot, given that we are leaving the Nuggets out of this conversation, six games ahead of Memphis. But the Lakers are lurking, and they won their first game out of the break the other night on uh, Thursday. Are they really lurking? They're in the 13th spot, which the only two teams worse than them are so, the bottom of the barrel, Spurs and Rockets. Let me rephrase it then. Are we going to discount them? I will. I don't think it's working in L.A. And again, LeBron James is just like that Steph Curry conversation we just had. When he's on the floor, anything is possible. Anthony Davis is otherworldly talented, but I'm not convinced he's even happy where he's at ever. I'm not sure he's ever been happy with where he's at. Uh, Their mix just feels wrong to me. I think LeBron James was smart to want Anthony Davis at the time that they did, and it was probably the right move to go and get him because he won a championship. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I just don't think that that's going to work for the Lakers. I really don't. So we'll take a look around the West every week until we get to the playoffs. See see who's competing with the Suns to try and get those final eight spots going into this uh, playoff run. Coming up next, what are the Cardinals' plans for DeAndre Hopkins? Well, the coach and the GM spoke on it this week. You'll hear what they said next on Arizona Sports Saturday.